We're probably one of the more well-known um, passages, I guess, of Ephesians. Uh, everybody seems to know Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, where it says you are saved by grace. And then we seem to, a lot of times, get quite a bit of uh, out of uh, Ephesians chapter 6 here, where it talks about the armor of God. Um, each day, I get up in the morning, and I have a list of things in my mind that I put there the night before. And it seems like somewhere around 10.30 at night or 11 o'clock, my mind starts thinking about what I need to do the next day. And I have a lot of noble thoughts that time of night, believe it or not. But in the morning, after I've had that first cup of coffee, sometimes uh, they just don't really seem to be all that noble anymore. Um, something happens to that noble man. Willpower weakens. And the list gets shorter, the most important things, you know, or the, uh, no, not the most important, the most unpleasant things uh, seem to get shuffled for another day, and that's when we'll do it. And I'm reminded of what Jesus uh, told the disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I've come to believe that for a lot of Christians today, the, it's not a problem of willpower. It's a problem of won't power. Because that's really what takes place in our lives. You know, I've got a, a runner sitting up here in the front. And I'm sure he could testify to that. The won't power is his greatest enemy. Uh, and, you know, I won't continue. I won't try. I won't concern myself. I won't buy, obey. And I won't even think about it. Uh, the truest enemy usually that we have is not the one on the outside. And that's the point I want us to focus on when we go through and think about the, the armor of God. Because normally when we think about the armor of God, what we actually think about is it's a scary world out there. And if you don't have protection, if you don't have you know, your armor, if you don't have that defense, if you don't have your weapons, the world is going to conquer you. But I really do think the truest enemy is not out there somewhere. We like to worry about things in the world. You know, some people worry about the last days or the mark of the beast. And some people worry about the doctrinal differences between you and your neighbor. Political issues. We like to worry about political issues. And it's not just religious people that do this. People that aren't religious do the same thing. Secular society, they're all worried about climate change and your carbon footprint. Um, political justice, whatever it is that's the latest fringe group's gone down to march on City Hall and talk about. It's not that these things that I just said are irrelevant or that they don't matter. I'm not saying that they're not valid topics of concern. But the greatest problem and the greatest threat is the one that we normally tend to ignore, and that's not coming from the outside, it's coming from the inside. It all seems to be a way of distracting us from the real enemy. The real enemy is me. I'm the enemy. I am the greatest threat and problem to my own soul. And the problem is we have churches today that are more concerned with placing guards at the entrance of the building than guards over their own hearts. He says, watch out. He says, watch over your heart with all diligence. For from it flows the spring of life. That's a proverb saying, when you're worried about all the different things in life, he goes, watch out for your heart because that's where the blessing is going to come from. And on the other side, that's where the curse would come from also. 
So I'm not telling you today that they don't lock your doors at night. You can go ahead and keep locking them. I'm not telling you to not worry about your carbon footprint. But the greatest struggle that for you and your soul is not out there somewhere. The greatest struggle, it's, it's not even your spouse. The greatest struggle is not your boss. The greatest struggle is, is struggle is not your neighbor. And it's not whatever somebody posted about you on smutchat.com. Yeah, I mispronounced that purposely. And you think about this, because this is the Ephesian letter. And all through this, we've been talking about the manifold wisdom of God when the church unites under the banner of Christ, no matter how diverse we are. We preach wisdom to the world. <clears throat> and Paul writes this he's, when he writes the Ephesians. He knows about those outside scary monsters. He knows better than anyone else. He writes this from prison. His body is covered with scars. He can tell you scary stories all weekend long if you want to hear them. He could talk about stonings, prisons he's seen, shipwrecks he's been involved in. You know, one time there were 40 guys that all got together and made a promise, a vow, before God themselves. He said, we will not eat or drink until this man is dead. I think they got kind of skinny because this letter here is being written quite a few years later. And he knows that the Ephesians have threats right there in their own city. You have Demetrius the silversmith. Demetrius the silversmith, he led a riot one time just to try to stop the church. Paul in particular was his biggest enemy, but just to try and stop the church. And you could read through Paul's letters, and later on you could even get over into his letters to Timothy. Demetrius is still a threat. He had powerful political influence, and he's trying to destroy the church. He's writing to a group of people who have been excommunicated from their favorite synagogues. Yet Paul's greatest concern is not the enemy on the outside, but the enemy within. The enemy is within the church, the enemy of your own soul. So he writes to the church, and he says this first off. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now that part we can handle pretty good. Because that's right, the devil's got some scary enemies out there and they're all after us. But look at the next part. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the worldly forces of this darkness. Against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Boldly, we can read these verses and say, be strong in the Lord. But I think we get a little confused when we read that second part where it says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Because we know the names of the political parties that are against us. We know the names of the, the bully in the neighborhood. We know the names of the officials, whoever it is, that might threaten us. But he says our struggle is against not flesh and blood but spiritual forces. You know, sometimes we automatically start thinking about how Satan has his world under his power. This is true. This is just not the verse that teaches it. That's not where Paul's going. And you've got to take this, you know, unfortunately we take a, a, a text and we pull it completely out of the letter and we say, I wonder what this means, you know. Uh, you ever do that? I'm not much of a car mechanic, but please don't give me a part and put it in my hand and expect me to know exactly what it was. You know, you know, where does this go? It's nice to see it attached to the engine and know. It's nice to see these things attached to the verses and understand exactly what he's trying to say here. 
he's trying to tell us to focus not on those people, but to focus on yourself. Paul wants to guide your attention to the mirror. And he wants to guide the attention to your own heart. So he starts off and he says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God. Yeah, we're a little behind here. Take up the, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. First off, it's your battle. You are the one who has to choose to enter this battle, and you enter it with your heart and soul. You know, it's, we like these sermons sometimes when we want to preach about those people. It's rare we want to talk about our own struggle with faith. You know, there's a problem, I think, a lot of times, because a lot of preachers, they have two sermons in their pocket. One's on God, the love of God, the other one's on the grace of God, and that's all they got. Uh, well, they're pocket sermons, so they're not very detailed. But, yes, God is a God of love. And yes, God is the one who saves you by his grace, by the power and will. But keep reading all of your Bible. Don't be confused by the scriptures that don't agree with what some preacher told you. You and I are the ones who choose to come or go. We are the ones that choose to obey or to reject. We are the ones who either walk toward God, or walk away from him. And this verse teaches us, the scriptures, if you could go through anywhere in the scriptures, so the prophets, the Psalms, the Jesus, the apostles, anywhere, all the way back to the man when he first came into this world. Remember the dawn of man's struggles? We had Adam and Eve who rejected God in the garden. Do you remember Cain and Abel? Cain failed. Cain messed up with his sacrifice. And we could go into a little study of what was wrong there. But it, it was his sin. Cain does not become repentant, but angry. He is not sorrowful. He's aggravated. I like the word vexed. We don't use that one too often anymore. But I like that word. And an angry God of wrath could have just killed Cain right there, couldn't he? But instead, the God of mercy and grace speaks to Cain, and look what he says to him. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you. But you must master it. In other words, salvation, yeah, that's what God wants. How often do you read scriptures in the prophets and in the New Testament where he says, choose life. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Jesus, in his final week, looked over the city of Jerusalem and said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I have longed to gather you. Well, it's God's choice for you to be saved. But at the same time, it's also your choice. It's your choice to make, and it's your choice to grab that salvation. It's your choice to walk in that salvation. So Paul writes there in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, Therefore, stand firm, having gird your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The first line of defense for you to stand firm with God is your very own soul. 
You know, he doesn't give you, he says, okay, now what you need isn't a weapon to go out there and attack that bad guy out there somewhere. No. You need protection, actually, from yourself. You need to resolve to stand firm. You do not need to relax. I like that part there because he says, stand firm. There's no relaxing. You're in battle mode. Ah, but I'd like to talk about that peace of God that passes understanding. The peace of God is found when you have a firm resolve to enter the battle for your own soul. Gird your loins. That sounds like an old-fashioned way, doesn't it? You ever gird your loins? Well, the ESV puts it this way. It says, put on a belt and a breastplate. Well, I think of, when we move this up to 2019, put on the bulletproof vest. <laughs> we weren't going to shoot you this morning. Don't worry. What does that actually cover? Your core. The core of your being that's what truth and righteousness do for you. They protect the very core of who and what you are. But in order for that to happen, you have to be aware of what is truth and what is false. The enemy outside the gate, he wants to infect us with a lie. Now that's the enemy maybe you need to worry about if you're talking about the one outside the gate. A lie was Satan's first weapon of choice, wasn't it, in the garden? And he's called what today? He's called the father of lies. You know, there aren't very many people who stumble into the truth. There's a lot of people, billions of people, who stumble into lies. And then he says, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And we could stay on this one verse here for quite a few weeks and talk about it. Basically, what I want you to see here is for you to be faithful to God, for you to actually gain that protection that you need for your own salvation, you also have to think and remember your life has purpose. He says, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We can do a lot of good as believers. A believer whose feet aren't prepared to go anywhere and do anything uh, that's not much of a believer. But there's no greater good than rescuing souls from darkness. No matter what ministry you might choose, no matter what way of work and blessing that you give to other people, no greater blessing than the gospel of peace. To shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel is to have that message firmly planted in your own life, in your own heart. Understand you are a soldier for evangelism. Some of us are lucky if we can find a verse on baptism, let alone persuade, persuade a lost soul that they need to believe in Christ. And so next he says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which, with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Shields don't protect if you leave them behind. Your faith is what you live. You take it with you everywhere you go. Faith is your protection because there are a lot of flaming arrows out there just trying to attack your faith. And so often when we walk in this world, it's like faith is something we carry with us on Sunday morning, but we kind of leave it behind six days a week. And wonder why we have such embarrassing postings on the, on 
social media or wonder why our life just isn't going as well as we'd hoped it would. The helmet of salvation is your confidence that you are on the right path, protected in any battle. You know, if you don't have a helmet on, what's your tendency? Your tendency is going to duck, right? You're not going to stand tall. We don't just take on any helmet. We take on the helmet of salvation, the assurance of who and what we are and where we're going. Knowing God's word requires reading. So he finally says, the sword of the spirit. He tells you, it's your Bible. The word of God. That thing that collects dust back there on the shelf. The book you may have forgotten to bring with you this morning. Knowing God's word requires constant reading, constant study, and constant meditation. I'd be embarrassed to ask the show of hands how many people have a regular, constant involvement with scripture each day of the week. So finally he ends and he says, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. With this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So he tells you to pray. What do you pray for? He says you pray for unity. You pray for compassion. You pray for your own faith and the faith of others and you pray for the hope. This brings us back to our theme, the manifold wisdom of God. When the church lives in readiness of the verses we're talking about, this armor of God, this protection for your soul, this protection from Satan's attacks on you, not necessarily other people's attacks on you, but Satan himself as he attacks you. When the church lives in that readiness of the verses we just read, we become a visible force to the world. But until we make each other our greatest concern, until we put on the full armor of God for our own souls, you have no meaning, you have no purpose, you have no message. Last couple of verses, Paul asked them to pray for his own faith. And he prays for his own behavior and his own lifestyle and his own work. He prays for his testimony that he might speak with boldness. And then finally, he says, Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be to all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with incorruptible love. And so we saw the theme of Paul's letter as we went back to chapter 3, verse 10, that the manifold wisdom of God here is the goal of his letter. When we are the people who live with the heart and the will of God, when we are those that no matter how diverse we are, we come together unified under the authority of God, then there will be peace to all the brethren. And there will be love with faith. You know, it's kind of interesting. He says love with faith. You know, it's faith-based love, I guess, is another way to describe it. Faith not yours, but God's, and love not under your will, but God's will. The manifold wisdom of God, that tapestry of God's will, is seen when we seek peace with one another 
And it's love guided by faith that says you matter more than I matter. There's always going to be challenges to your, your walk with God. And that won't power is always trying to take over your heart. It's there constantly. So when you take up the full armor of God, you choose faith, you choose grace, you choose love, you choose God. And I like that way he describes love in the very last two words there. Incorruptible love. The only thing that corrupts my love is me. And that won't power. When I won't let God reign, when I won't let Jesus be Lord, when I won't surrender my soul to him, the love becomes corrupted, right? Polluted. But we choose God's ways regardless of who you are. You choose God's ways regardless of what you've done, and you choose God's ways regardless of whatever failings or flaws that you think you have in your life. The enemy is within. The hope of the message of the cross is God's love, God's sacrifice. It's God's invitation. It's especially your response. And he asks you to choose him. Choose him by surrendering. Choose him by believing. Choose him by dying to the old world and being buried with Christ in baptism so that you're raised to a newness of life. Whatever you need, we ask you to come as we stand and sing.